Welcome back to the Marketing Moment with DB Dynamo. I'm your host, David Berry, with my co-host, Julia Reynolds. Salutations, Julia. Tell them hello. Hi, everybody. And it's, uh, well, it's Friday for us, but it's going to be Tuesday for you when you hear uh, this, this next episode. And as you may have recalled from the last one, we're getting rid of a couple of things that have made this podcast perhaps clunky in the past to keep it informative, concise, and literal, but to the point of actionable. So we want you to be able to take things right out of this podcast that you can apply to your business quite literally. And I think that we've got something like that for you again today. So a brief intro, if you're a first time listener or you're back and you just don't remember the details, we as DB Dynamo, we are an e-commerce agency that does digital marketing work for brains that sell products for the brain and the body. So unofficially, we say if your customers learn it, eat it or wear it, we help you sell it. If you're following us on social media this week or listening to our podcast, our most recent episode, we talked about higher education. That's the learn it part of things. And today we're going to focus on the eat it side of things. Um, specifically, we'll get there, but at first we're going to talk about a philosophical conversation about ROI and how art and commerce intersect to grow, to grow ROI. So a couple of weeks ago, we talked about us as an agency. We were DB and partners unofficially, or I'm sorry, officially up until a few weeks ago. But we rebranded ourselves as DB Dynamo. And our, our tagline that goes with that is we are where art and commerce shake hands. Our belief is, and this is going to be not just talking about ourselves, but tying into today's episode, that there's a lot of really smart, sophisticated digital marketers focusing on the technical side of things and the obsession with the ability to track with pixels and data and custom audiences and lookalike audiences and automations here, there, and, and otherwise. But it has become our guiding philosophy that those things are absolutely critical, but they are hollow if the messaging is, is hollow. If you're using stock imagery or if you're just kind of phoning it in on your emails or your social ads or whatever the case is, you need both. Art and commerce need to shake hands in our estimation to be not just a brand that shows up in e-commerce, but a brand that transcends and leaves its mark in e-commerce. So that's really the focal point of today. And this is actually inspired a little bit, credit to Julia. I, I wrote the premise of this, but Julia recognized it as a topic that would be useful to share where I had posted a couple of things on LinkedIn about ROI. And, and really the theme here was, we get this question all the time, a client asking us, okay, well, what's gonna be the ROI of blank channel? What if we do you know, Facebook or what's it gonna be if we do YouTube or, or Google? In my experience, what that client is actually asking is what is the magic button that I can press to get results? And, and again, that's an oversimplification. What I, however, what I don't hear often enough, especially from the tech obsessed digital marketers is some of these questions this is an incomplete list, but I don't hear enough of what is the ROI of world-class design and production. Julie and I had a very frank conversation about design and production as it relates to this podcast and the episodes that we're putting out with the little thumbnail videos and snippets from our episodes. I told the team very frankly, done in the beginning is better than perfect. Well, we did you know, 10, 11, 12 episodes and we had a chance to hit the pause button and take a look at the production quality of what we were producing. So what I'm saying here is not just preaching. This is advice that we're giving to ourselves and taking in real time as well. Uh, there is an important ROI of world-class design and production as an example. It communicates without saying the, the words that you can be trusted, that the quality is there, that if you can produce quality for yourself, you can produce quality for your, for your clients. Now that's speaking for an agency, but the same is true for a brand. If there's something that's left to be desired with the, the quality of what you produce and put out on behalf of your brand, 
then that is a communication of the quality of the brand itself and sets an expectation for what the product, the service, or the experience might be like. But that conversation doesn't happen enough. Another question, what's the ROI of consistent audience-obsessed content? Meaning you know your audience and your customers so well and you're consistently hammering home on the same messages. What does that look like? And what is the ROI of that over time? We are a prime example. We've only very recently started to talk about art and commerce shaking hands or that we are a brand that are an agency rather that focuses on scaling e-com brands for the brain and the body. Now, our intent and our goal is that over time, people are going to hear the name DB Dynamo in maybe not all across the world, but certainly in their worlds and immediately associate it with the things that we just told you, e-com, brain and body, art and commerce shaking hands. But we also don't hear enough of those conversations in the tech digital ROI focused world. What else? What's the ROI of focusing on user experience? Again, not just setting up an e-commerce site and assuming the user is going to figure it out, but making it so smooth and sticky at the same time where users are, are delighted to actually be spending time on the user experience that you provide on your website or on your chat features or on the emails and all the other places that they communicate with you. Here's a wild card. What's the ROI of cold calling your customers to get feedback on product or service quality? There's a couple brands that I really admire who've done a fantastic job of this. And uh, one of them is, is Hush Blankets, which we've, I think, talked about on previous episodes. But they actually just this week, this week launched um, a cooling mattress, which I think is um, it's not uncommon, but it's, it's, the, it's an emerging space in the category, so to speak. And they did a, a fantastic job of rolling it out. But a big part of the reason they even arrived at doing this in the first place is they were calling customers one by one, not necessarily all of them, but a lot of them. And getting a sense of what did they like about what they'd already purchased um, in the name Hush, they started with blankets, but they'd moved on to pillows and sleepwear and other sorts of things like that. And, and one of the things that came up was the ability to sleep more comfortably, like they liked the blankets that there were weighted, it also produces the opposite problem, which is you can get really warm under one. So you discover really interesting insights and anecdotes when you talk to your customers, but it also they speak the language that other customers speak. And that becomes really useful to helping you take that message that they're sharing with you and use it in your own ad content or online messaging. But again, we don't hear a lot of our brands asking the same thing of, of cold calling their customers as they do about what the ROI is of a channel with no context. And then the last question that we, we posited, at least on, on my, uh, my LinkedIn post is, what's the ROI of an integrated media mix versus one that is asking every channel to deliver a purchase with no regard to what a user actually does on the channel. And people for the longest time, I think got hooked on Facebook because it had the ability to do all of the things. It could create awareness, it could create nurture, and it could also deliver purchase. And it can still do those things today, but not nearly to the same effect. Uh, but there's also, there has to be context for what things do. As an example, um, let's talk about display advertising, right? Display advertising is notoriously not a great way to get people to, to buy a lot of things only when you're using retargeting, but display advertising is not meant to drive sales. Generally speaking, it is designed to bring awareness to products. So you have to cont contextualize appropriately where your brand is in its current life cycle and then the, what the channels are supposed to be doing in your marketing mix. But again, if you're asking for every channel to ROI, you're going to be sorely disappointed because it would be like asking a, uh, a butterfly to go dig a hole. Um, that's a really weird made up metaphor that I just came up with on the spot. But again, that's not what a butterfly does, right? And not all channels are ones that are gonna be driving sales. We know that great ads aren't enough. We know that great tech and targeting isn't enough. You need both. You need art and commerce to shake hands. 
And, and I understand why digital marketers love attribution and the easy to digest ROI measure. I personally do. And I understand that it satisfies the rational part of our brain that wants to solve for a relationship between the outputs and the outcomes. But the problem with attribution data is it's as reliable as what, what it can track. And for better or worse, there is a lot that attribution data can't track that your Facebook ads dashboard or whatever else can't track. Here's a, a piece of data that I think will, will shock a lot of people, but it's, it's true and it's verifiable. Maybe not exactly, you know, every survey set will respond the same way, but 91% of people who buy your product saw your ads, but they didn't click on them. We're so focused on click, you know, click focus. Oh, what was the click through rate? But a lot of people enjoy a lot of content that they don't even click on. Here's another one. 80% of consumers now bounce between devices when they're shopping in a discovery phase. And 40% of online purchases actually involved multiple devices as well. So you're going to be relying on Facebook to deliver ROI, but we just have evidence right there that 40% of online purchases come from multiple devices. You don't know where that transaction started, and you may only have a small glimpse into how it actually ended. Now, again, I mentioned that these numbers vary depending on who you survey, but here are other things you need visibility into. The impact of your creative, your messaging aided and unaided recall, your competitive landscape, what your competitors are doing and how much money they're bidding to drive up the costs of your ads, uh, how and where your customers talk about you. As an example, especially in the B2B space, and I know that's not our specialty, but a lot of people talk about tech stack solutions and third-party tools like Clavio and Salesforce and things like that on, on Slack channels. But you're never gonna see that show up in an attribution dashboard because they're they're having these conversations privately. So we talk about the fact that art and commerce need to shake hands and attribution is not enough. You need hard data for context, but you need instinct and intuition to make it useful. Generally, I think commerce, as we think of it in e-com is technical, but it's an art form too. It's a big part of the reason, as I mentioned, we talk about us being art and commerce shaking hands. Now, that's a little bit of preaching. Uh, what I'm gonna turn now is talk about a couple of literal examples and a brand that we handpicked here uh, for this morning is, is Magic Spoon. And there is no shortage of brands getting it right, but I also know that there's no amount of attribution data that's gonna make that any clearer than simply looking at what they're doing with a more critical eye. And I wanna give a little credit to the DTC newsletter, uh, which is one that we subscribe to here. It provides some great insights. And they actually did a lot of the thinking that you're gonna hear um, from us today on Magic Spoon Serial. Uh, but I'm not gonna spend all day talking about it. Let's use it as a teaser. And you, if you wanna look a little bit more at what some of these visuals look like, I encourage you to visit dbdynamo.com forward slash blog. And it's the latest article that we've put up and you can take a look at it. Let's talk about social content first, UGC and social proof content. So UGC meaning user-generated content. Um, and, then, and then also different like split screen testing. So let's, let's, talk, about the, let's talk about social proof content first. One of the things that Magic Spoon did uh, in one of their ads, and they have dozens that you can look at on the Facebook ads library, but the copy at the very top says, Magic Spoon is the serial of uh, the future of serial. And the source of that that they quote is Forbes. Underneath it, uh, still in the text part, they say 13 grams of protein per bowl, four grams of net carbs, zero sugar, tastes like magic. And they've got fun little emojis that goes with, goes with each of those. But the main image, which I should also clarify, is, is vertically oriented, takes up a, a pretty significant footprint, uh, is the clipping from Forbes. And it says, Magic Spoon is a future of cereal. And the subtext underneath it, all still in the visual for the ad, says cereal for dinner, Magic Spoon makes it possible. Magic Spoon's low-carb, high-protein, sugarless cereal rings, they look like Cheerios, 
can be enjoyed on diets like keto or as part of anyone's regular breakfast routine and tastes like, well, cereal, not some engineered concoction to replicate what sweet, crunchy cereal should be. And then the call to action button is say hello to the internet's favorite cereal and learn more. So what's, what's powerful about this is it's not necessarily earth shattering, but the social proof value in a piece of content is really important, especially for Magic Spoon, which I would venture to say is a brand that many of you listening may not have heard of. And frankly, I had not really heard of until I saw the DTC newsletter. But I understand that if I'm in the target market, I'm not going to just trust them as like some internet cereal brand, because that seems a little outlandish to me. I still like to get my cereal the old fashioned way. Um, but if I'm going to take a chance on an online brand, I do want some social proof. And Forbes is a pretty authoritative um, authority <laughs> on, on the subject matter. And, and it's very clear that you can get that information um, you know, from them in this piece of content, and it makes you want to respond to it. DTC newsletter, what they called out specifically is that they they love that the copy, the creative, and the headline are spot on. And there's um and there's a lot of reasons, you know, as I'd mentioned with the social proof for it. Now, Julie, I'm gonna hit the pause button real quick. I know you've had a chance to look at some of this as well. The next asset here is actually like a a split screen test um, that kind of plays off on the fact that whether people pour their cereal into the milk or pour their milk into the cereal. So I'm, I'm curious to see if you had a chance to look at that one and what you thought of that specific piece of creative. I really like it. It kind of has like a Andy Warhol vibe almost with yeah. the, the way that it's edited. Right. Um, I think it's great. I think that's a almost as big as the pineapple on pizza debate. So I'm glad uh -huh. that, they, that someone at Magic Spoon had the ingenuity to think, hmm, we should do some cool creative. I think it's a really cool visual. And I think a lot of cereal, it looks different from a lot of cereal brands. Sure. Well, and I appreciate that you called out the the pizza, the pineapple on pizza debate, which by the way, I know some people get real fired up about it. I think just to have an opinion, I love pineapple on pizza. I'm not ashamed to I say it. I don't tell people that often, but I now know. I'm telling a podcast. So I guess right. I have to stick with it forever. We'll whisper it. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be our, our secret in front of all these people. What I think is really important about an asset like this, and again, they're testing multiple different types of creative like this in front of users that all have different value points. So they have user-generated content, as I mentioned. They also have social proof content with the example we just gave. Now here's another one. This is engagement-oriented content because we know exactly like you said, people have an opinion about the pizza and pineapple issue largely because they've been told they should have one. What they've done here is essentially say, you're on one side or the other. You either pour your cereal into your milk or your milk over your cereal. And now you want to have an opinion on it. You want to stop and pay attention to it. And so there's, there's some magic in that, pun intended, magic spoon, but because this is a debate we've all had conversations around and the four squares, as Julia described them as the way they're set up. And again, you can check this out on our blog, have really eye-catching colors that make it a scroll stopper. Meaning like we're always talking about stopping thumbs on mobile devices and this, this does that. I think there's an opportunity for them to take this, you know, even further by running a poll with the ad and creating custom landing pages for each answer. So each landing page could include copy that reads, you know, we're so glad you chose this route. We're on your side. Again, credit to DTC newsletter for, for that specific insight, but, but that's fun. And people discover brands, not necessarily because they're immediately looking for a solution, but because they're intrigued enough to pay attention. So talked a little bit about social content. Um, and, and let's jump into email marketing real quickly. Their email acquisition is a challenge, especially for new brands, because they need to trust that there's a reason to inundate their inbox with another email. And I know there is no shortage of us on this earth who are saying, man, you know what I really need is more email in my inbox. But we will still give that information away if there's real value. 
And one of the, the best pop-ups that we've seen in a little while is, is the one that Magic Spoon has here. And Magic Spoon leads off um, with a contest angle rather than a discount in their pop-up. And I think that's really valuable because we've all seen this, right? It's to the point where every DTC brand, you go to their site and you're about to leave, you're doing it almost because you expect there to be a 10 or 15% off coupon code that they will send you in exchange for your email address. It's so predictable that it's like wallpaper and you don't even notice and you don't even care because you expect it. Meanwhile, what, what um, Magic Spoon did was give you a chance to win free cereal. That's what it says right in the pop-up message. Win free cereal, exclamation point. Enter for daily chances to win a one month supply of Magic Spoon, which is like, okay, that's kind of a low risk and a pretty interesting, uh, seemingly significant reward for a brand I've never heard of. Okay, I'll give it a shot. Um, now, again, this kind of leads to what happens after, and we're gonna talk about this in a second, but the the reality is most of these people are not gonna win the, the first, you know, the free month of cereal it kind of is what it is, but they are going to get entered into an email automation flow. That's just as seductive as, as what got them to sign up for it in the first place. And that's where I think the real quote unquote magic happens. So the, um, the first email you receive in their, their email queue to get onboarded. Um, and again, you can see the visual, but I'll kind of walk you through it. A lot of brands or, or too many brands go right for the jugular by requesting a sale the second that you sign up for it. And and that's kind of missing the point because they don't really know who you are at, but magic who you are yet. But Magic Spoon gets some seduction by telling you, the the client or super soon to be client, um, who they are in an appealing way without being aggressive. So in this one, the very first thing you see is is another pastelli pink, which again the the color scheme really is unique and gets their attention and says, "Do you believe in magic?" And it's a cereal bowl with splashing milk and and little Cheerio dot things all over the place. And it encourages users to meet the breakfast of their dreams. We've recreated your favorite childhood cereals without the junk, without the junk, try now. And then underneath it, you have three uh, quotes or, you know, social proof, if you will, from peers and people who've tried it out. And, and then it tells you to shop now. And then underneath at the very bottom, it has a happiness 100% guaranteed. So you have the understanding from the very first email, other people like it. This is fun. It's better than the stuff I currently have. And oh, by the way, if I try it, there's a 100% guarantee that if I don't like it for whatever reason, I'm going to get my money back. So there's more where that came from. For now, I, th I assume that you're catching our drift. And that is Magic Spoon is doing commerce. They're targeting ads with sophistication. They're setting up their email automations by having something to say instead of just selling. But they are selling more because of it, because they're coming across as authentic and customer first. And people buy into that. It's not just art. It is art, but it's not just that. And it's not just commerce, although it is commerce too, it's both. And the intersection of those is what has made Magic Spoon a pretty magic brand uh, worth watching. So that is our focal point for this week. Two things, again, just to restate what you can take away. Social ad content that tests different themes. Use social proof if you have it. Use uh, user-generated content if you have it. And use engagement tactics that will allow users to stop and have an opinion and want to offer up an opinion on what it is that you have to say. That's a great way to get people to pay attention to your brand, test all three, see which ones they respond to, and then refine and improve from there. And then with email, give them a real incentive to sign up that's not like the things that everyone else is doing. Find something unique, find something enticing that's, that's going to be fun and conversational, knowing that you're not going to convert sales necessarily on the very first email that you send out. 
But again, you are now earning the opportunity to put them into an, an initiation sequence where you actually have something to say, a story to tell, and a product to sell at the end of it. And I feel a lot more confident that you'll do that if you treat your customers like you care about them rather than just a means to an end to generate revenue. So those are our takeaways. Julia, what are your uh, thoughts on, on Magic Spoon or, or anything else you'd want to add to this one? I think Magic Spoon had an interesting challenge because they look so much like Cheerios. And I like that they acknowledge that. They also kind of look like Fruit Loops, it seems, with their yeah. pink version. I'm going to assume it's strawberry. Um, and so I think that their branding and their color schemes and their fonts and everything not only nail it in like a advertising sense for online ads, but in a general branding, it really differentiates from Cheerios. I will say it's funny to me that they picked a yellow box for what seems like they're like normal, like their general original, if you will, um, which yeah. is funny given Cheerios branding. Agreed. But I do think that across the board, their branding nails it. And that is, again, their art nails it. That's awesome. And that's, you know, that's the differentiator. Uh, I don't know why I emphasized it that way. That's the differentiator <laughs> is, uh, is the art and the fact that they're doing the technical stuff well. And, and those, you know, those pay dividends over time. And that's the hard part. Everybody wants the attribution and the instant gratification of sales. Um, but that's eventually people are going to need teeth in, in your messaging. And I think that's what they're really nailing here. So that's the core of our episode today. Julia, we, uh, we leave them with our marketing mazel. Tell us the good news of who's doing good marketing mazel worthy uh, types of things this week. <laughs> yeah. So our muzzle this week is actually about TikTok's partnership with Shopify for in-app shopping. <clears throat> so this comes from TechCrunch and it says TikTok announced on, on August 24th, an expanded partnership with e-commerce platform Shopify, as well as a pilot test of TikTok shopping among select Shopify merchants across the US, UK, and Canada in the next coming weeks. So the social video platform first announced its plans to partner with Shopify last October, so 2020, with the introduction of new tools that allowed Shopify merchants to create, run, and optimize their TikTok marketing campaigns directly from the Shopify dashboard, as well as new integrations with TikToks uh, for business admin, ads manager. My gosh. So there's already so many ad, ad manager platforms. They were trying to merge those with Shopify. Um, so Shopify merchants with TikTok for business accounts will be able to add shopping tabs to their TikTok profiles, which is really interesting, and sync their product catalogs to create mini storefronts on their profile. So kind of similar to what Instagram has done with their shopping, but now on TikTok. Interesting. Well, so yeah, we, we've told our clients about that. There was rumors that it was you know coming a couple of weeks ago, and we've actually got a couple of our clients set up and ready to go for, for this program. Um, not everybody's eligible yet. But it's, it's interesting. So I, I'm an adjunct at the University of Miami, and I was talking to my students last night about this. And a lot of them were referencing Instagram shopping and saying they actually don't think Instagram shopping is a great experience. They think it's, it's pretty clunky and difficult, which I don't buy a lot of things directly through Instagram. I guess I took for granted that it was, that it was there and it, it is used, but the adoption has been perhaps a little slow for exactly the reasons they're alluding to. So because of the success that Shopify has had in in commerce e-commerce my suspicion is that they're maybe going to do a better job at this and i imagine that they've watched with a keen eye what instagram has maybe struggled to do and it'll be very interesting to see if tiktok and shopify as a, as a duo can pull off something that the other channels have not and that includes facebook and not that tiktok i'm sorry that uh, twitter ever tried or anything but 
true social commerce has existed for a while, but no one's really mastered it. This might be the opportunity for one of the brands to pull that off. Beautiful. All right. Well, that's what we have for you this week. Thank you again for listening to The Marketing Moment with DB Dynamo. We encourage you to subscribe, share with your friends, and tune in with us again every Tuesday when we drop new episodes. And don't forget to check out our blog, dbdynamo.com forward slash blog to read some more details on the things that we're saying in longer form content. Uh, some of the topics are, are covered here on the blog as well. I'm sorry, here on the podcast as well as on the blog, but there's a lot in there as well that's longer form content for things that we just didn't have time to get through here. So be sure to check us out again and we will see you next week. Thanks again. Thank you.